Well, it's good to be back from vacation. Pastor David and Steve did some heavy lifting while we were gone. I'm looking forward to catching up on those podcasts. We've been digging out from a mountain of email. You, you pay a price when you, you, it's good to get away, but then you pay a price when you get back. So we've been paying that price this week, but it's been good. And uh, I was telling somebody just earlier, I, I always know when I'm ready to come back from vacation because at some point I have my first creative thought about a future sermon. And I know that if that doesn't happen, I'm not ready to come back yet. So it wasn't until Thursday of the second week. So if ever I don't come back from vacation, that's what I'm waiting for. Say, where's Faye? He hasn't had that creative thought yet. So, hey, we're going to, hey, I got a couple of things just want to do before we get into the message, which is not going to be the message that was planned. Holy Spirit using Chris House to mess up my plans with that story of blind Bartimaeus. So we're going to get into that a little bit tonight. But I just, this is a thank you card for Hannah. I want to give her this. She doesn't know why she's getting it, but I'll give it to her. And uh, you can clap. Come on. People get gifts. We clap. When David was talking about they want their daughter to have an unusual name, I leaned over. I said, Fred's really unusual for a girl. I mean, if you're really going for unusual, I mean, I'm just saying, put mine out there. That'll catch people off guard. But, uh, but Hannah is taking over, uh, about a month or so ago, all the operations for our preschool. She's doing an amazing job, uh, joining, joining our staff, coming on our team. And, uh, and we had recruiting goals that, that lasted through October, right? And we're just uh, midway through July. But we had gro- uh, goals mapped out all the way through October. And uh, we had a meeting this week as we we're getting back just to see where. And we are, a, we've beat our recruiting goals that we set all the way through October here in mid-July. So... And she shared with me, too, in that meeting this week that... that um, you know, the, we've just ordered our curriculum because it, it, it is a bona fide preschool. We want to get your kids ready uh, for the educational challenge that are waiting for them, whether that's homeschool, private school, or, or public. We have a sense of responsibility to help them get ready. But we don't want to just get them ready for education. We want to get them ready for life. And, uh, and so a big part of what we're doing is also discipleship. And so they're working to take this book, which is our plan for discipleship for adults, uh, they're working to translate that and build a curriculum for children on discipleship that's going to teach them about virtues and pathways. And uh, so we're excited about the work that, uh, that they're doing. So well done, Hannah. Well done, Hannah. Mother of Fred. Soon to be, soon to be daughter. Fred and Selah. I have David, same problem. You think David's common. You attack Fred. And then my last name's Michaud, so people have no idea what to do, right? I go from, uh, from, from common to I don't know where you're from, all in one, one moment. Hey, we, we're in a series, Eden. Um, tonight was going to be about born to grow. I think that's going to get pushed to next week. Um, this, this story about blind Bartimaeus, such a powerful story. I'm, I'm going to get into that story in just a minute. But during worship, I, just, I couldn't get away from... This morning, as I was just resting and relaxing at the house, I was kind of flipping through the channels, and, and uh, I, I settled on to an, an ESPN, a sports channel. We're a big sports household, uh, and there was one of the biographies that they have often. I don't know if you've ever seen those, and this one was on Mariano Rivera, one of the most feared pitchers in all of baseball. 
Hall of Famer, he's going to be. But I did not know his story. I did not know his story. And, and so it, it, was, it was talking about how when he was a young adult growing up in Panama, that, that he was playing for an adult team in Panama, and just a regular game. He wasn't even a pitcher. He never pitched his entire life. He was just a ball player, and he had always dreamed of being a ball player. Grew up in an incredibly impoverished family in an incredibly impoverished area in Panama, and he was playing that day like he did most days. And what he did not know is there was a scout in the stands from the New York Yankees that day. No one knew he was there. They didn't know who he was. He was just there kind of checking things out. And he saw this young man play baseball, and he wrote up a scouting report. So sometime after that, the New York Yankees organization contacted Mariano Mariano Rivera and said, we'd like for you to come to our training camp in, in South Florida. We'll pay for you to come, and we'd like for you to try to be a pitcher. He had never pitched in his life. It's incredible, isn't it? Play baseball, but never play the position of pitcher. He is, if, if you look him up, if you don't know baseball, you, you, what he has accomplished in baseball, he's a phenom, phenom. And so he comes, and he tries out in the, as a pitcher, and he's, just, he's less than mediocre, less than mediocre. He actually stayed in the New York Yankees. The, there's all kinds of rungs to baseball before you get to pro, right? So when, when you become, when, when you get invited to become a part of a professional baseball team, you, you, you could have to work your way through several types of minor leagues programs before you get called up to the majors. They started him at the lowest of the lowest of the lowest rung, and they said he was an afterthought. We had no idea that he would ever develop into anything And so he was in their farm system for seven years. Seven years! He he could foreseeably be, when when, when he goes into the Hall of Fame, the the greatest closer that baseball has ever seen. Seven years in obscurity. No one knew who he was. He was just just doing the game that he loved. Doing the game he loves. So he began to slowly work his way up just maybe a little bit beyond mediocre to where he, he was a starter in the minors. And he worked his way all the way up to the team right before that you would go up to the majors. And the New York Yankees had a need for a starting picture, so they said, let's take a chance on this kid from Panama. So seven years later, he, uh, he gets his first call up and he gets his first star, and he was terrible. Terrible. They, he pitched, uh, uh, I think, to seven batters, and they, and they scored seven runs in that inning. And he's horrible! He's horrible! Horrible. And so the, 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 the guy from the New York Yankees that they were interviewing uh, looked at the, at the report on his performance, and they think, we're going to have to cut this kid loose. And, uh, and then right there in the stats, it says that in one of his pitches, he threw 95 miles an hour. And the guy was like, huh, that's pretty good. Maybe we've got this guy doing the wrong thing. Maybe we've been positioning him as a starter when really what he is is a closer. And so they, they took another chance on this young kid. And, and he's in the bullpen, and he's, we don't want to get too technical for you, but there's all kinds of pitches with baseball. And, and, when, and when you throw different kinds of pitches, there's, there's stitching on a baseball, right? And you hold your fingers on that stitching in different ways, depending on what you want to do. And, and to throw a fastball, you're, you're going to align your fingers with the stitching as they, in, in parallel to your fingers. And so he was goofing off in the bullpen, and he, and he held the ball the opposite way. So his fingers ran across the stitching, which has become known as the cutter, the cut fastball. Now, somebody had done that before, but no one in the history of baseball has ever done it like he did it. 
And so he started throwing, and all of a sudden the ball gets to the batter, and it moves in an unpredictable direction every single time. And the pitching coach said, hey, Mariano, what, what are you doing over there? He said, I'm just goofing off. He said, keep goofing off. Keep throwing that ball just like that. Every time it gets to the batter, it moves in a different direction. And he made a career off of that pitch. They interviewed in this, in this biographical sketch some of the best hitters in baseball, and they all said the same thing. We came up to the plate. We knew exactly what he was going to do. We knew the pitch that he was going to throw, and we, couldn't, and we couldn't hit it. That pitch breaks more bats than any other pitch in baseball. When The year he retired, as he was, he's one of the most beloved. He's a follower of Christ. He's one of the most celebrated players amongst all teams. And so as he was in his last year, as he went to other stadiums, and they were the away team, the away team brought him gifts because of his retirement. One team brought him a rocking chair that they had custom made out of all the broken bats that he was the cause of. Isn't that great? They brought him out this big rocking chair and it was all these broken bats. And they're like, this, this was because of you, Mariano. All because of you. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? We, we see people who are famous and, and, and wealthy, like this, this young man, he's, he's built churches back. He goes to his hometown every year. They were talking about all the, the uh, philanthropic work that he's done, what he's done for the Christian community there, married to his, his childhood sweetheart, his entire life. Right? You, just, you see fame just ruins people, didn't ruin him. He used it as a platform to have a voice for good in this life. But it's fascinating, isn't it? What he had to go through, the obscurity that he had to endure, being overlooked, being, being someone who, who wasn't known, and just being faithful with where he was in the moment. And he's become one of the greatest athletes in modern day history. And I have such a sense that there are people that are here tonight, and you're in your place of obscurity, and you're about ready to give up. And what God wants to say to you today is be faithful. Be faithful where you are. Don't use your frustration as permission to compromise if you've seen other people do around you. Don't use the sense of frustration as an excuse to give up and, not, and to not continue to live the life that you know that God's calling you to live. I'm not saying that you're going to be famous, but what I'm saying Someday you're going to have a sense of being the person and doing the thing that you know God put you on this earth to do. It's a gift. Fame is not what we're after. Meaning is what we're after. And the only way you're going to experience true meaning in this life is to wake up one day and have a sense that you are doing the work that God has put into your hand. And I, can I just tell you that obscurity always precedes the sense of revelation that comes because God is testing and he's building in you the character that you're going to need to walk in the thing that he's created you to do. So don't give up. Don't give up. Stay faithful. Mark chapter 10. Oh, this is such a great story. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they, which is referring to Jesus and his entourage, reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. Now, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, which is son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. It's one thing to be blind. It's one thing to be a beggar. 
It's something different to be both blind and a beggar. You with me? He's doubled down on despair. And it's interesting that the text tells us that his name is Barnabas, and then it gives us an historical notation, a cultural notation, as it was common in the Jewish community, that your name would be, so if you're not going to name your daughter Fred, you should at least name her the son of David, because that would be really a biblical example there. Bartimaeus literally means son of Timaeus. They, they would actually name people son of the, their father. In Jewish culture, identity was important. I think this is an important notation, not because it's teaching us cultural context, but I think the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to put this notation in here because he's trying to help us to see that Bartimaeus is about ready to have a change in identity. Bartimaeus isn't just the son of Timaeus, he's the son of begging. He's the son of blindness. His whole life he's identified with his brokenness. His whole life he's identified with his condition. And for some of you here, that's why you're struggling in your obscurity because you're wrestling with your identity and you're identifying with things that have happened to you instead of identifying with the one who created you. For some of you, you're the son of betrayal. For some of you, you're the daughter of disappointment. For, for other of you, you're the children of poverty or you're the children of entitlement or you're the, the, the children of hurt or the children of, of no one's done for me what people have done for others. And that list just goes on and on and on. There's pain and suffering and hurt that we endure in this life. Some of it for our own foolishness. Some of it, as we've talked about in the series, Born to Suffer is by God's design to prepare us for heaven. But we're never supposed to identify with the pain of this life. We're supposed to identify with the one who heals us from that pain. He's son of blindness and son of begging, but that's all about to change for this man. It says he was sitting beside the road. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. It's interesting that Bartimaeus acknowledges the identity of Christ. This is part of how we know that identity is an important part of this text. Because as he begins to call out to Jesus, he declares who he believes Jesus to be, which is the Messiah. Because if he's the son of David, because he's a Jewish man, he understands that the son of David is a name that would be given who, who would one day be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So Bartimaeus is saying, I'm a son of begging. I'm a son of blindness. I'm a, I'm I, I, I've been identified with my condition my whole entire life, but I realize that you are the son of of the living God. And he's realizing that there's something that Jesus can do for him to set him free so he's no longer the son of brokenness, but that he can step into his childhood as God created him to be. He's saying to Jesus, I want to have the identity that you have. I want to experience what it's like to be known as the child of God just like you're the son of the Father. See, he asks for his identity before he asks for healing. And people around him said, keep shouting. This is great. That's not what it says, does it? 
right? Chris already told us, what do people say? Shut up already, right? Could you, could, could you hold it down over here? It's interesting that we have a tendency to tell people to be quiet when what we should be saying is, you should say that a little louder. It's interesting that we have a tendency to tell people whose situation that we don't understand, whose circumstance we can't relate to, whose complaint we might not even agree with. We have a tendency to say to them, be quiet. I think as a nation, as a society, we have a be quiet problem. We have a tendency that it is our response to people we don't agree with is be quiet when it's supposed to be tell me more. It's happening in our nation right now. You don't have to agree with the complaints that are going on. You don't, you don't have to have a side in the political posturing that's taking place. But if what you hear other people saying is different than what you think and what you feel, I hope that you're not a be quiet person. I hope you're a tell me more person. Because if you hear something that you don't understand, then let it inspire in you curiosity and not defiance. Let it inspire in you a hunger to learn more about that person's situation, about their circumstance, about why they feel that way. No matter what side you might fall on, if you have a side at all. I'm talking to all people here, not one or the other. We have a be quiet problem in our nation. We have a be quiet problem in the church. We have a be quiet problem in the Christian community when what we should be saying to one another is, tell me, tell me more. Why do you feel that way? Why are you upset? Why does that bother you so deeply? I'm telling you, as we begin to learn more about the circumstance and the situation of others, I'm telling you, you might begin to find one of the reasons why God put you on this planet. And you might begin to discover one of the reasons that he created you. And you might begin to find the purpose that he's called you. It's interesting, isn't it? In Galatians 6, we're told to bear one another's burdens. But we have a tendency to tell people to be quiet when what we should be saying is, let me help you carry that. So you don't have to carry it by yourself. Be quiet, many people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder. Don't you love people like that? Come on. You know some people like that. Some of you are sitting next to people like that. He only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then Jesus heard him and he stopped. I like that Jesus made him work for it because he's testing his mettle. Jesus recognizes that there is a certain amount of faith that has to be present in a person for them to receive what he wants to give to them. Now we know that because when he went back to Nazareth, his home, his only hometown, it says to us in the Bible, this is Jesus, the son of the living God. He was only able to perform only a few miracles because of the lack of faith that was in his hometown. It's one of the few times that you will ever read in Scripture that the Bible speaks of divinity in a limiting way. It's interesting, isn't it? Why? Because what they needed to receive the ministry that Jesus wanted to give, they did not have. And so what's Jesus doing for Bartimaeus? He's giving him a gift. He's drawing out of him and bringing him into a place so he's ready for what Jesus wants to do for him. 
Jesus heard him and stopped and said, tell him to come here. Now, can we just agree the one thing you should never say to a blind person is come over here? Is that fair? Is that fair? If, if you're going to help a blind person, shouldn't you say, no, 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 no. You stay right there. I'm coming to you. Right? All right, this is just me because I know I'm a little demented, but I think when Bartimaeus jumped up, I think Jesus is over here and he ran over there. And they're like, no, Bartimaeus, to your left, to your left, to your left. Who says to a blind person, come here? So they called the blind man, cheer up, they said. See, the people that were saying, be quiet, now they're saying, cheer up. Come on, he's, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. He jumped up and he came to Jesus. Now, can we just agree here too that if you have a blind beggar who's been calling to you for quite some time, have mercy on me, I'm pretty sure there's a self-evidencing quality to the nature of the need that is in front of him. But Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Because it takes faith to declare the prayer that you're calling out to God. Even though you might believe that he can. Even though you might believe in who he is. Even though you might realize your whole life you've identified with your circumstance and you need to identify with your creator it's something else to believe that he can do something supernatural for you. You can believe that he's done it for others, which clearly Bartimaeus does, because at this point, Jesus isn't in his time of obscurity. He's in his time of popularity. People know who he is. People know, people know what he can do. And so he has a reputation of being able to heal and to be able to move in power. It's one thing to believe that he can do it for other people. It's something else in the moment to trust and believe that he can and wants to do it for you. So he wants to hear it from him. Bartimaeus, tell me what you want me to do. That's part of why Chris was pressing some of you tonight. It's one thing to hear other people saying the name of Jesus. It's something else for those words to pass out of your heart and pass through your lips. What do you want me to do for you? Listen to this. My rabbi. The blind man said, I want to see. Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly, come on, instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. Don't you love? Most people believe that he's been blind from birth, it's part of the reason why he was probably a beggar, that his first act with being able to see with a physical eye was to follow Jesus. Because now he realized that he's no longer the son of his circumstance, he's a child of the living God. And the gift that has been given to him, which I think we can all agree, 
is profound is that it translates into him walking in the footsteps of Christ. For some of you, the thing that you're calling out for, the thing that you want God to do in you, he has you waiting because you're not ready. Because when he does in you what he's asking, what you're asking him to do, he wants the gift of what he does in you to inspire you to follow after him. And he's not going to do it in you if, it's, if you're going to squander it and just run after something else because he loves us that much. Because at the end of the day, he's after your heart and he wants to see your destiny birthed. And so for some of you, you're waiting because you're not ready. And what I would say is wait well. Wait well. And begin to have a conversation with Jesus like this man did. It starts with declaring who God is It starts with being honest about the brokenness in your own life and the healing that you need. And it starts with having a faith and a belief and a declaration that you trust that God knows your name, that he loves you, and that he wants to do it for you just like he's done it for others. And let there be, can I just encourage you, let there be a declaration that gets added to your petition That when whatever you're waiting on God to do in you, that when it comes, begin to talk now about how you're excited about how it's going to inspire you to follow Christ more deeply with greater devotion. Instantly, he could see. It, It causes me to be a little bit curious. I wonder what the people who were saying, be quiet, what their conversation was like as they were headed home, that on that day, they got to see something incredible. I just have to believe that for some of them, the next time they found themselves in a situation, in a circumstance, where they were annoyed by someone else's need, because of what they had seen, they began to treat that person in a different way. See, sometimes we read these stories and we, and we only see the miracle of the person because that's what's prominent. But every time Jesus does a miracle like this, can we just agree? He touched every person in that crowd in a deeply profound way. I've got to believe that one day when we get to heaven, and I hope you're going to be there with us because you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, that you're going to be standing around maybe in a worship service in heaven next to someone and they begin to share their story and, 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 and you begin to ask them questions about who they are and that they would say, I was in the crowd that day when Jesus healed Bartimaeus. You're going to be like, get out. They're going to be like, no, I was there. They're going to be like, my pastor talked about that when he got back from vacation. Yeah. And they're going to have a story about how they treated, they went from a be quiet to tell me more to how can I help. That the power of Christ in us should inspire us to be different than the rest of the world. This is what we're going to be getting to in this message next week. If the Holy Spirit is inside of us, and he is, if we've made a vow of devotion to Christ, then why are not the virtues of Christ more prominent and more present and the fruit of those virtues sweeter in us than anybody else in the rest of the world? If we have a hard time differentiating between the character of the Christ follower 
in the character of the rest of the world, then we have a problem. If we have a difficult time as we examine our own lives, differentiating between our character and the character of someone else who is not a Christ follower, or God forbid that someone else's character who doesn't even know about Christianity could be an example and a mentor to us, then we have a problem. Because if the fruit of the Spirit is virtue and the Spirit is in us, then why are we not the example of virtue to the rest of the world? Because we're supposed to be. It's interesting, and we're going to get to this in the series in the fall, that, that there is a reason why Jesus' two declarative statements come in the order that they do. He said he came to seek and to save the lost, but then his second declarative statement was that he came to build the church because the church is the instrument of the vehicle through which the lost are supposed to be saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, and then he makes the declaration later where he says they're going to know your Christians by your love. Now think of all the things that Jesus could have said they're going to know your Christians by. And the word love, in and of itself, is the embodiment of all the virtues of Christ. It's why in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love is the greatest of these. Not because he's prioritizing them, but because he's saying love is the embodiment of all virtue. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, the world should know you as my followers because you're the most virtuous people on the planet. And there's something about us that people should be drawn to, and so they find themselves in the community of the church, and they find themselves bending a knee to make their own vow of devotion to Christ. Can, can we just agree together that as a church family, we want to be a people of virtue? And can we agree together that because of who we are here, because of the grace of God, because of the forgiveness of Christ, because of the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, can we just have a dream and a vision together that the 757 would become known as one of the most virtuous places on the planet because of who he is in us? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. So who are you the son of tonight? What are you the daughter of in this place? When you look back over the story of your life, what do you identify with? What do you tend to think about the most? In the privacy of your own life, in the moments when nobody else is around, and you're left to your own thoughts, you're left to your own ideas, the self-talk that comes when you know that no one else can hear. What are you saying? Because what I would suggest to you that it's in those moments that you've defined your own identity. Because the Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And there's a pairing to that truth in Proverbs that we eat from the fruit of our lips. They work together in tandem. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and we eat from the fruit of our lips. For some of you, if you don't understand anything we're talking about tonight, what I would say to you is change your conversation in your private moments and begin to talk about the person that you think possibly that God wants you to become. Begin to talk with him in your 
private moments about the, the person that you want to be, the virtues that you hope to have. Begin to talk with him about the life that you have a dream for and a, and a vision. Can I just say to you is that as you begin to do that, as you begin to let that stuff begin to well up outside of you, then this principle of Proverbs is going to begin to have its work. You're going to begin to eat of the fruit of your lips and you're going to have an identity shift. You're going to stop identifying with the brokenness of your yesterday and you're going to start identifying with the person that God's created you to be and the next thing you know, you're going to look back one day and you're not even going to know who you used to be. You're not even going to know that person anymore because you're going to begin to step, you're going to become the Bartimaeus that's the son of the living God that's following after Christ into a new future, down a new road into a new destiny. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this moment of worship, I pray for whoever is here tonight that that message was for. And I pray that they would step out from under the command of be quiet that someone has spoken over them at some point in their past. I pray that in this moment that every person in this room would have a profound sense of liberty and freedom, Father, to respond to you and however you're inspiring them, whether it's to come forward for, for prayer for one of the people that are up here in the front or somebody that's in the back, or maybe it's to come and kneel at this altar. Maybe for someone here, they've had their hands in their pockets the whole time tonight, and and there's just there's just overwhelming sense of desire for them to lift their hands for the very first time as a act of surrender. Whatever it is that somebody's going to open their mouth. Maybe they've been silent in church their whole life, and they're going to sing along with the words that are on them for the first time. I pray for liberty and freedom in this room. In Jesus' name, we break the be quiet that's been spoken over people's lives. For some of them, from the day that they were born. Let there be liberty, let there be freedom, let there be clarity, and let there be hunger and thirst for righteousness. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.